0: All right, you can take your seats. All right, I want to read a passage of scripture for you, but uh, first, we're just making you do all kinds of things today. So first, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. i want you to take a really deep breath in and then a deep breath out. Don't blow it on other people, but a deep breath out. So you ready? We're, we're going to breathe in. You ready? And then out. I had COVID last week, so there you go. No. Breathing in and breathing out. So I want to read for you John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again. Jesus said, Peace be with, with you. you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So uh, there's a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You heard of it? Okay. Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, he introduces us to four children who, uh, they wander into the back of this wardrobe in, in a room. And when they get inside the wardrobe, when they get to the back of it, they find themselves in another place. They find themselves in a place called Narnia, this kind of really interesting, beautiful, amazing, magical place. And uh, it's got animals that can talk. I mean, just, just amazing things that this, these children find. Uh, But there's a problem. So there's a wicked queen in Narnia. And this wicked queen has basically cursed Narnia to be in this perpetual winter. So everything is frozen, everything's cold, everything's bitter. It's just in this locked perpetual winter that it can't break out of. But the good news is that there's another thing going on in Narnia at the same time. There's a lion in Narnia that wanders around and and he's from another place. But he's in Narnia, this, this lion. And he's spoken of in very hushed terms and reverent tones. In fact, one of the children asks one of the animals, you know, is, is this lion safe? And you see on the screen, no. The lion is not safe. But the lion is good. The lion is good. So the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's this fictitious representation, for the most part, of the life of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, spoiler alert, Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. The lion, Aslan, he lays down his life for Narnia, and then he rises from the dead. And wherever Aslan goes, all of a sudden you can tell because things begin to thaw, things begin to come to life, things begin to bloom again. In fact, you don't even have to see him to know that he's been present because there's a transformation that has taken place wherever he goes. And then when you finally get towards the end of it, um, Aslan, he, he takes these liberators to the queen's castle. And as soon as they get into the courtyard, what you see in the queen's courtyard is you see all of these frozen statues, all these creatures of Narnia that have been, that have been frozen into place. There's no life in them at all. And so the lion goes up to them and kind of lowers his head, and he breathes on them. And as he breathes on them, his breath fills their lungs, and all of a sudden, they are filled with life in that moment. So here's where we are in our series on the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit. So in this series, what we've done is we've asked What do we have? What do you and I have when we recite the Apostles' Creed? And we'll recite it here in just a little bit. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, we're saying we believe certain things. But we're saying we believe certain things about certain things. What what do we have based on what we say we believe from the Apostles' Creed? And what we've gotten thus far is this. We have a loving Father who welcomes us home. And the way home is Jesus. He's the suffering servant. He's a shepherd that's been resurrected. So in him, in Jesus, we have this just judge who's going to be coming again. He's going to come and bring justice. And what we're going to see today is that we also have the breath of real life. The breath of real life. So here's the deal. When it comes to the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit sometimes draws the short end of the stick. And what I mean by that is you've got God the Father, right? We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I mean, that's a, it's kind of the big honcho, right? I mean, the Father's the big deal. And then, of course, you've got the second command. You've got the Son, right? So you've got number one, you've got number two. You've got God the Father, you've got the Son. Common sense would dictate that Uncle Carl is next or something. Like there's, there's like this family line or something, right? But no, instead what you have is you've got the Father, you've got the Son, and then you've got the holy spirit kind of over here the holy spirit the first two feel at least tangible a little bit the holy spirit though a little bit more abstract people like to fill in the blanks when it comes to what we really believe about the holy spirit so just really quickly really quickly here at the beginning what are some basic things about the holy spirit that we should we should at least say we believe in what what do we understand about the holy spirit This is not going to be an exhaustive list, so don't come after me after we're done and be like, you didn't say this. I know, probably because there's another service at 11, okay? So, um, this is not an exhaustive list, okay? But we are going to land on one aspect of the Holy Spirit that I think is really, really important for us to land on today, today. But first off, the Holy Spirit is the link between Jesus and the church, the Holy Spirit is the link between Jesus and the church. So without the Holy Spirit, the church honestly would just be a really positive social club that really likes to sing. I mean, that, that's, that's, it, it would have no life in it. The Scripture and, and Jesus himself, I mean, the, the church is described as the body of Christ. We are a body, but without the Spirit, there's no life in the body. Does that make sense? So, so the Holy Spirit is the link between Jesus and Jesus. And the church, if the Spirit was not here, there would be no personal transformation. There would be no reason for us to have baptisms if the Holy Spirit wasn't at work. In fact, things like baptism today would be meaningless. When Jesus said that you and I would be witnesses throughout the world, it happens because we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. You're not a witness just because you're good looking or you got some super gifts or something. You're a witness because it's God who bears witness to others through you the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We're going to get to that here in just a minute. But second, the Holy Spirit is also very much God. It's not God, Jesus, and then this other thing. It's God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. The three in one. Jesus taught of the Holy Spirit. He taught about the Holy Spirit. And he also said that God would send another to be with the disciples in them, in them. So the Holy Spirit is very much God, and the Holy Spirit, number three, draws us to faith. Draws us into faith. Last fall, we talked about uh, different aspects of grace, God's grace, and one of those was prevenient grace. The idea of prevenient grace is that God goes before us, and He's drawing us to a faith in Him. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that process. The Holy Spirit is the one that plants the seed of hunger in our hearts, in our lives, that causes us to, to come to God. None of us goes looking for God and finds God. God's been looking for us. And he uses the Holy Spirit to draw us to him, closer to him, which for means that the Holy Spirit also convicts, which is a super fun word. Convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts us. I don't like to be made feel guilty, Pastor Rich. That's why why it's so hard to come to church this morning, because I always feel guilty. Somebody's going to judge me or whatever. Listen we would not know if there was anything that we needed a remedy for if God didn't convict us for it and show us our need. God shows us that need. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us our need and our sin. So without a sense of conviction regarding our sin, without a sense of something's off, we'd never know our need for a remedy, which means the Holy Spirit also teaches, number five, the Holy Spirit also teaches. The Holy Spirit takes the truth from your head and puts it in your heart. Puts it in your heart. And you may think that it's some special speaker that's done that or some self-proclaimed prophet that has some ability to move you, uh, but it's the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into all truth. Not a person, not a thing, not an event, not a place. The Holy Spirit is the one that takes you into all truth. Uh, If you get, I mean, I I have no delusions of grandeur. I'm not the world's most prolific speaker. If you get anything out of what I say, I can guarantee it ain't me. (laughs) Uh, It is the Holy Spirit at work. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life. Six, the Holy Spirit cleanses, cleanses. So it does not take long if you allow the Holy Spirit to start working in your heart and working in your life, if you begin to let that happen, it does not take long for the Holy Spirit to begin to convict you of the things in your life that need to be let go of, that need to not be in there anymore. Words, attitudes, resentments, habits, things contrary to God, malice, rage, hate, all of those things. The Holy Spirit is faithful to cleanse us of those things, if we'll respond, which leads to the seventh thing. Before we get to that, just really quick, I want you to notice what's not in that list. Um, here's the deal, um, I, you know. And I, I've been around the block. I've been around, you know. I've been a pastor for about twenty five years, and I've heard people say so many things about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And sometimes, like, I wonder if the Holy Spirit gets a little more credit than the Holy Spirit's even looking for. Um, you know, the Spirit made me do this, or the Spirit said this to me, or, or I just, I want to be in the flow of the Spirit, or I want to I wanna experience the Spirit, I want to experience the Spirit. Sometimes experiencing the Spirit is the Spirit telling you there's something jacked up in your heart that you need to tell Jesus about. Is that a move of the Spirit? Or is a move of the Spirit only when a certain worship song sung in a certain way by a certain person makes you feel a certain thing? I'm picking a fight. Okay. We tend to minimize the true work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the church, the pastor, the worship ministry do not exist to be some kind of spirit dealer that's designed to give you a feeling fix. That's not the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a prop. The Holy Spirit is not a tool in the hands of some specific teachers who only know the real truth. The Holy Spirit is a person. A person. The Holy Spirit is God who wants to dwell in your heart. And the main ministry of the Holy Spirit is to transform you, to change you so that when somebody looks at you, they say, it's it's no longer them who live, it's Christ who lives in them. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit. If you feel good, if you get some warm fuzzies in a service and all that kind of great stuff, but listen, there are, you can chase people anywhere every, all the time. You can go on YouTube. You can do whatever you want. But the bottom line is the Holy Spirit will always bring you to a place of repentance and conviction and purification and cleansing, and he does that by number seven, which is filling. The Holy Spirit fills us. So the passage that I read at the beginning from John is really an important moment in the life of the disciples. Not just because the Holy Spirit showed up. It's because Jesus knew exactly what those disciples were going to have to be and he knew exactly what they were going to have to do. And it was going to be a mess. It was going to be hard. Those disciples were going to pay for the truth of Jesus with their lives. Period. Period. He knew the pressure that they would be under to start crossing social and religious and ethnic barriers, all of these Jewish disciples were going to have to start talking to Gentiles and eating and breaking bread with them. I mean, he knew all of the things that were going to be required of these disciples, and he knew, and God knew, they're not going to be able to pull this thing off. It is not in them to do this. They're going to be mistreated, they're going to be beaten. They're going to be imprisoned. He knew this was going to happen to them if they chose to stand on the truth. And so they did something about it. They gave them power. Jesus wanted to fill them with the Holy Spirit to give them the power to live the life they were going to have to live. Without that power, you and I, I mean, we can seek to do good things, but we'll be devoid of the power to live out what God commanded. We may talk a good game. We can dress it up. But our lives, our relationships, our behavior will end up eventually telling a different story. They just will. So breathe in. Breathe out. The life that you and I are called to live is real life. And it looks like a lot of things looks like the fruit of the Spirit. The life that you and I are called to live looks like love. Looks like joy. It looks like peace. Are you a person of peace? Are you a person of peace? Looks like patience. It Looks like kindness. Goodness. It looks like gentleness. A person who is surrendering their lives to the Holy Spirit, a lot of what looks like is self-control. It looks like the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not those that hunger and thirst to be, make other people believe they're right, but who are being made right, being made holy, being cleansed, being purified. It looks like those Beatitudes. It looks like denying ourselves. It looks like what Jesus said when he said, Hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up a cross. You have to deny yourself, pick up a cross, and follow. Jesus. It looks like loving and praying for your enemies. It looks like compassion. It looks like turning the other cheek. It looks like washing feet, taking the lowest position. It looks like a lot. It looks like becoming victorious over temptation, turning from sin. It looks like a whole lot of things. So can we be honest? It's a really tall order. How many of you are never tempted by anything? or are tempted to lie right now, okay? This is a tall order. This is, this is a big ask, okay? A big ask. Even the Apostle Paul talked about this. I mean, Paul, this is Paul. Paul's like, look, there's a whole lot of things I know I should be doing, and I just don't do them. And then there's all this stuff over here I shouldn't be doing, and that's the stuff I end up doing. He's like, I'm a mess, I can't live this life, but then it's the same Apostle Paul who says, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, and I can do all things through Christ who is in me. The work of the Holy Spirit in me. That's where the power comes from. Without the filling, we might have the appearance, we can dress it up, we can play the part, but we will lack the real life that God intended for us. So the storyline from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it actually pulls from a prophecy that took place in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. God comes alongside Ezekiel and he says uh, through Ezekiel to his people, his children, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to put a new ruach which is the word for breath. I'm going to put a new spirit, a new breath in you. I'm going to remove from your heart, you, your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit, my wind, my breath in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel. In other words, God says through Ezekiel, look, there's coming a day where I'm going to switch this thing up. So I, I gave you a law at the beginning. You broke that. I gave you 10 at Mount Sinai. You couldn't keep those. I gave you all kinds of ceremonial rules to keep, all of these things so that you would, you would have real life, that you would experience flourishing and, and experience this real life free from the baggage of sin and, and hate and burden and all that kind of different stuff. I've, I've tried all of those th- different things, but now we're going to switch this thing up. So, so Ezekiel, here's what I want you to tell my children Israel. Here's what I want you to tell them. I'm going to do a new thing now, I'm going to come and I'm actually going to breathe my being into them. I'm going to put myself in them. I'm going to change their hearts from the inside out. So now it's no longer keep these rules and that's what makes you acceptable. It's we're, we're going to change this up. I'm coming in. I'm moving in is what God says. So in Ezekiel chapter 37, we see a vision of this. So God takes Ezekiel takes him to this valley and drops him. Boom. Drops him in the middle of this valley. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but let me set the scene for you. It starts in Ezekiel 37.1. He says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Full of bones. So He's dropped into this valley. He's full of bones. Dry bones. They're not just dry. I mean, these are like sun bleached. There's a femur bone over here. There's a big toe bone over there. Somebody's teeth are over in that crack over there. I mean, there, there's bones everywhere. Sunbleached, dry bones everywhere. Okay, so this is the scene. And in the middle of that scene, God comes alongside Ezekiel and says, hey, you see all that? Can those dry bones live again? The answer is no. I mean, that's 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 not just dead. That's like you've been dead, and people forgot you even lived. I mean, that's 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 dead, dead, right? Those, these, are, these are forgotten. This is the valley of dry bones. Can those bones live again? The answer is no. But Ezekiel's a better man than I am, and he was wise enough to know that God was about to show him something. And so his response was a little open ended. He's like, "Well, God, only you know." Only you know. He was wise enough to know God was about to show him something. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will make breath, ruach, there it is again, enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So, Ezekiel, he says, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. Jerry's teeth found Jerry's jaw over here. Carl said, where's my foot? I mean, it's just there's a whole lot of stuff going on, okay? And the bones start coming together, bone to bone, smack. And all of a sudden, tendons and flesh begin to appear on them and skin covers them. But, but, as great as a preacher as Ezekiel was, as great as a prophet as Ezekiel was, as much as he could shout down the power of God, they were still void of life. There was no life in those bodies. And in, in that, we see this really important lesson, I think, that helps us to realize what it is exactly we have when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, Son of Man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come from the four winds. O breath, breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied. As he commanded me, in breath, entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. A little confessional today, is that okay? Maybe a little Holy Spirit conviction. I wonder if in the 30 years of me following Jesus, uh, how much of what has come out of my own life has been done in my own strength. How much of what people have experienced when it comes to me has been me and not the work of God in my life? Now, for 30 years, I've been a believer. That's not the question. I put my faith in Jesus Christ May 16, 1992. Okay, so, so that's not the issue. The issue is how much has been done in my strength? How much of what has happened in my life in the last 30 years has just been rich during? And in doing so, it's kind of devoid of real life. Because I can't breathe life. You can't either. I can't breathe life. Some of what I've done is good. It's been good. I mean, if you're disciplined, you can stop doing some bad stuff and you can start doing some good stuff. You can show up for a church service, you can throw money in a bucket, you can curb some language, maybe stop dropping dropping F-bombs. And people will notice I me. And people are like, you don't cuss as much anymore. Well, it's because I found God, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of behavior correction that we are pretty capable of doing. And we can force ourselves into doing some really good things. Some really, really good things. And people can notice. But what is in our heart will come out. What is in your heart will always come out. God knows that I have sought the approval of man more than I would care to admit. I'm a people pleaser. I don't like it when people don't like me. And so I, I always try to avoid conflict. I try to avoid hard conversations where I feel like people are going to be upset with what I say. And so I, I tend to avoid those things. I t- I'm a people pleaser by nature. I've tried to appease men, sought the approval of man more than I'd ever care to admit. But how much of what I've done has been devoid of real life because the only things that I've done are the things that only I could do? I could do. No real lasting change. How many sermons have I preached and gotten praise for that were void of life because God's breath was not in it? How many prayers have I performed? where the breath was mine, and it was not his breath? How many songs have I sung that drew attention to myself, getting an ego boost, being confirmed in so many ways, and yet it was dead air coming from my lips? Because it wasn't about him, it was about me. I'm insufficient to generate real life. I can't do it. Or think about the church for a moment. Just like Ezekiel, we can preach, we can prophesy, We can pull some things together. We can put some skin on it. We can dress it up. We can brand it. We can sell our swag. I mean, we we can get a crowd. We can do all those kinds of different things, pull together our gifts. I mean, as a church, there is a lot that we can do, a lot that we can do. We can build a huge profile. We can be attractive. We can be endearing. We could put together the best worship service, best musicians, best experience, pool all of our knowledge, do all this really, really good stuff, even get outside of the walls of the church on purpose and, and do some things in the community, get some good photo ops, get some Facebook posts, all those kinds of different things. Now, sure, there might be some relationships hitting brick walls in the midst of our fellowship. There might be angry words exchanged, resentment, some brokenness. Sure, there might be some pain, but we're pretty good at shoving that stuff under the rug, right? We're pretty good at pushing that stuff aside, especially if we're really good at dressing other things up. That way we don't have to do those things. We can muster up some emotional fervor. We can dress it up more, all the while pushing down the very things that lead to real life change, where brokenness and vulnerability is faced, and healing actually begins. That's the real life. That's the real life. That's real living. As a pastor, I've heard so many times people throw the Holy Spirit around like the Holy Spirit is some commodity or something that you've got to desperately hunt for. And then when you find it, hold it like a prize. Like somehow you and I can wrap our hands around God. That's borderline blasphemous. The Holy Spirit is a person. I wonder, again, if the Holy Spirit sometimes gets credit for things that the Holy Spirit doesn't want credit for. I have a friend who says this, there's a lot of things we do for God. A lot of things we say God wants us to do. A lot of decisions we make for God. And sometimes, sometimes, God's even in it. What about you? Are you experiencing real life? Or is it dry bones? Maybe, They've come together a bit. In your own strength, you've pulled it together enough to maybe carry on, but, but it's not real life. You're not experiencing real transformation. A heart cleansing, a heart change. Ezekiel preached, and stuff happened. Stuff happened. But look what the text says. But there was no breath in them. What if when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit what we're actually doing is we're accepting the opportunity to breathe everything out. Breathe everything out. All of my abilities, all of my ideas, all of me. (sighs) Because it's hard to fill up something that's already full of itself. What does it look like to breathe all of it out and let him fill you with his spirit? What we have is we have a loving Father who welcomes us home. The way home is Jesus, a suffering servant, a shepherd, resurrected. In him we have a just judge who's coming again. He's given us the breath of real life, the Holy Spirit. What would it look like for you today to breathe out all of it? To breathe out all of it, everything in your life, and take in the breath of God the Holy Spirit, and let him fill you. What would that look like for you today? Can I pray for us? Maybe today what you just realize and recognize is that you have that need. There's something that you've been carrying around. There's a little dry bone stuff going on. There's a reality that, you know, you're trying to live out this Christian life, but you keep coming to these stumbling points where you're trying to do it in your own strength and not the strength and the power of God. He's the only one that can do it. The great news of the Holy Spirit is you don't have to go hunting for the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go chase the Holy Spirit somewhere. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit's in you. The question is, will you let go? Would you breathe out so the Holy Spirit truly can fill you and lead your life? Can I pray for you today? Father, we come before you today. We just recognize that uh, my words are insufficient probably even inappropriate at times. So I pray today that people have heard your voice. I pray today that, uh, that Father, uh, they would respond, that I would respond. Sometimes what's best is for us to be still and listen to your still, small, quiet voice. You want us to get this. So, As your people today, we come before you. We breathe out. We call this church real life. Real life is found in Jesus Christ and through the filling of the Holy Spirit, Father, as we live out what it means to be followers. My prayer is that we would all experience that real life today and that if somebody finds themselves in that valley today where it's parched, where it's dry, where it feels like there's no life, there is a promise of the breath of God. There's a promise of the breath of God today for those who will receive it. And I pray that there are people in this room today who will receive the filling of the Holy Spirit so that they can live this real life in you. Father, they can experience triumph over temptation. They can experience real, true life in the midst of suffering. Father, I pray that you would give them the strength today, the power that comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit to live that victorious life as we walk in step with the Spirit as we live out the fruit of the Spirit, as we live out everything that Jesus commands us to. Father, there's a cost to that, but it's not a cost that you weren't willing to pay for first. And today, as we look at baptism, we recognize, Father, the price that was paid as people are baptized. They're buried in in Christ and they rise in his resurrection, Father. The symbolism is not lost on us. The imagery is not lost on us. You are doing a new thing. The old is gone. The new has come. And so, Father, as we celebrate with those who are being baptized in a moment, would you remind us that you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, you have a promise for us, and that promise is the Holy Spirit. Help us to cling to that, help us to receive it. And, Father, help us to live and walk in victory today. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.